the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. With comprehensive coverage and insightful analysis built around your teams, The Athletic delivers everything you need in every sports story that matters. Celebrating their fifth year anniversary, there's plenty of giveaways at The Athletic. Download the app, follow your favorite teams and leagues, and get a personalized feed of exclusive ad-free content. For access to all the stories at the heart of the game, visit theathletic.com slash spottrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, and get 40% off your first year subscription. My name is Mike Giannetti. Happy Wednesday evening. It's about 8 o'clock Eastern time here. We're going to run the gamut in terms of financial, sports business, and of course, some NFL, some MLB Here's the, here's the agenda for today. I'm going to bring on our new guest, Jeff Huber, a good friend of mine who kind of uh, unhashed this whole GameStop stock shorting story. And uh, it became even more interesting to me when I figured out that there was a tie to a certain baseball organization that I have been rooting for for the last 35 years. So I'm going to bring in Jeff, talk a little bit about the GameStop stocks, transition into Cousin Dan and Scott Allen, We've got a little bit about the Super Bowl matchup and the financials of that and the futures of the Chiefs and the Bucks, respectively. Then we're going baseball, Hall of Fame, uh, what happened yesterday, what that means for this year and next year, the players that are on the list, the players that are coming to the ballot next year, uh, the steroid era, all that good stuff. Uh, really interesting talk there, by the way. That, that, that got kind of deep in terms of stats, numbers, You know what should qualify. Uh, Good discussion there with Cousin Dan and Scott. Then a really quick dive into the available free agents, the big ones left, and teams we think that are probably in the running, what those contracts might look like, where they may end up, and what that means for the rest of the MLB offseason. And then Scott brings up a really interesting point as to the changes that may happen in baseball because we're headed towards, we're about probably 10 months away from what could be another baseball strike as the CBA negotiations heat up. You know, there's so many things on the table now with expanded playoffs, the revenue structure, the universal DH, just so much going. And uh, I don't know how they're going to get that done on the fly. So I imagine they're going to have to have some sort of work stoppage to rebuild this thing, rewrite the CBA, and really change the landscape of the game so that more eyeballs are getting on this thing because it's, uh, it's in a bit of trouble. There's a lot of teams that are financially struggling with this pandemic now, you know, somewhat in our rearview mirror and revenue kind of coming back into the fold. But, you know, look, there's a lot of teams on the bottom of our payroll list right now that are there because they have to be, that they just, they can't afford to bring in middle, middle-class contracts right now because they don't know what the next six to 10 months are going to look like for them. So interesting to see what the changes might be. Scott's got a couple of good ideas to bring uh, to the round table here discussion. All right, Jeff Huber and how many of internet nerds are making a lot of money off of GameStop. Jeff, generally speaking, you're behind the scenes. I'm bringing you to the forefront here because this is uh, this is kind of down your alley. Although I'm, I'm not sure you you dive too deep into the uh, the day trading, if at all. But this GameStop story is awesome because it's kind of like nerd warfare. <laughs> and right, um, look, I, I can get to the surface of this. I definitely understand the concept. I definitely understand why this is happening and why people are making a ton of money off this. Just give me this. Just give me the breakdown. Uh, you, you know, uh, and kind of kind of start with why they picked GameStop because that's the most important part of this. Yeah, I I, I mean, I, 
so I came in late on this, right? A little bit. I had some people at work sort of like tip me off to that this was going on and I don't follow the stock market a ton. And so I really just sort of started looking at it uh, today first thing. But um, the, the, the basic idea is that someone uh, on this Reddit channel, right? That that's become infamous uh, is uh, basically- yeah, Wall Street bets, right? Correct. M made a post that, um, you know, just basically calling out like, hey, GameStop is super overshorted, like something like uh, 55 million of the 65 and a half million shares are, are short, which is just like an incredible amount. And it's basically just ripe uh, to basically buy and start, it's going to start trading up and people are going to make money. And it's uh, for whatever reason, people call coalesced around this and it just sort of like took off and so and now it's so lame, layman's terms because that's i think where people are going to get tripped up here um it's not uncommon to short these kind of these kind of shares this happens all the time right this is, a, this is, all, this is an entire business for some of these funds and, right? and generally speaking shorting means i'm going to borrow essentially borrow shares from this company with the with the thinking that they're going down and I'm going to be able to, to essentially when I actually purchase these. So it's like, it's like layaway, but I'm yep. going to actually purchase at a lower price when I go to actually spend the cash. Right. Yep. But I've already sold it. So I borrowed it, sold I it. sold it. I don't own it and the bill's going to come due and it's going to be lower than what I sold it for. That's exactly so, right. So when you say that GameStop was being overly shorted, this buying selling action is what was being being seen, right? There was there was a ton of action on this random stock, and and oh by the way, the reason I the reason GameStop matters is this is a got to be a dying industry. It, it's got to be. I mean, it's got to be like the next version of Blockbuster, right? It 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 that was the crazy thing about GameStop. It wasn't right. Like they actually had a fairly sound business. They do very very well when new consoles come out. Um, so you know they maybe over the course of years, but by no means were they, were they a dying company like overnight, but these funds had, had been shorting and reshorting and shorting uh, the stock so much that if you were just a casual looker and looked at the stock prices, you'd be like, Oh, this company's in the, in the garbage bin. So, right? but that actually wasn't the case. So what, what this Reddit situation is doing and, and the reason it's working is you mentioned this wall street bets thread it's this channel essentially like a chat room from back in the day of 3 million subscribers. And, and, and the only way that this can work and actually make a damn make a difference is if millions of people do this at the same time. So that's what's happening here, right? Is that there's kind of like a, there's kind of like a mini war going on with this specific wall street bets group that are, that are pushing back on <laughs> The, the big wigs who generally do this on a daily basis, right? I, I saw something today and I don't remember the exact numbers, but the volume increase on this stock of like day trading yeah. was astronomical. It was like, it went from something to like, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of shares a day in volume to like 10 million transactions a day. Yeah. It's just insane. Just buy, sell, buy, sell. Well, yeah. the, the article I'm looking at right now, Jeff, basically says that the stock price of GameStop has gone up 775% in like an hour. <laughs> I mean, because that's, that's what happens. Yeah. That's what happens because the, the, the big wigs who are shorting this, this stock, they want it to go down. 
Right. They, they are they are banking on it going down because the buy sell only works if it goes down. So they Correct. identify GameStop as a flounder, somewhat floundering industry because it is seasonal. You're right. I mean, the second that the PlayStation Five situation goes goes away, GameStop just goes back to being <laughs> a blockbuster for video games, essentially. So, um, you know, it's a good time to sign, kind of short this company, thinking there's going to be a decline after a big boom. I I I, I absolutely get that part of it. Um, but this is also the perfect time then when the stock was at a crazy low because of the shorts to inject nerd warfare from wall street bets right and let them right. go and, and kind of suck this up well they were taking away the money that all these big wigs were essentially were banking on getting is that correct correct and then the, and then at the same time some people are making money right? Like doing this, like big bucks, like people who are actually buying these stocks low and, and selling them once that price goes up, you know, and some people are holding them. Um, but I, for the most part, it seems like people are doing it for the lulls. Yeah, right. absolutely. Like there's, there, that's a big chunk of it. So you just want the quick it, and know, dirty, some people right? are making money in it. Yeah. There are some, de- there are definitely some professional traders in on this, right? Like this is not like, this is not all like, like, day trading hackers, you know, teenagers living out of their, you know, parents' house. Like yeah, the, there are professional traders in on this making money and doing it. But yeah, at the same time, they're just like, we're going to stick it to the man just yeah. because. Jeff, at the same time that I'm reading this paragraph about how, like I said, this nerd warfare is happening in Wall Street Bets, the owner of the Golden State Warriors is also in on this. <laughs> like, he got wind That's of it amazing. and decided, hey, you know what? That's definitely going to work. I'm in, even though I'm a trillionaire. Because uh, it's totally legit. If it's legal and it works, money's totally money. Legit. Right? It's all it's all public knowledge. There's not insider tips going on. Like this, there's nothing. There's nothing illicit about it, which makes it even more funny. I mean, I don't know. So if, the, if you watch the but, Reddit group, Jeff, the Reddit group that basically is promoting this situation, that's not illegal because there's no ties back to the company, right? This is just no. This is all public uh, an online information. Saying, hey, let's go buy that stock. That looks good. Yeah, they got. The guy, the guy who made the original post um, in in the thread, it's all just it's all public information. Like this is that that's free and fair trading with information anyone could get, right? And so it's just they're using the power of, you know, of you know, lack of a better word, crowdsourcing, um, yeah, to to make this happen. Yeah. So how how does this not happen now? Every week with other companies, it's already going to slow the Block, show. Did you see Blockbuster? Blockbuster spiking. Blockbuster liquidation, <laughs> which is now Blockbuster liquidations, <laughs> Bed Bath and Beyond, Express. Uh, anyone going out of business? Yeah, yeah. Anyone going out of business or any overshorted, over, overshorted stocks? Oh my goodness! Yeah. All right, I'm going to let you go, and then I'm going to I'm going to spin this conversation into why I'm having this conversation on the Spotlight Podcast. Jeff, thanks for your thanks for your info. Can't, can't wait. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Bye. Okay, so why did that story matter? To, to the Spock Drive podcast and specifically to me. Um, of course, I'm going to bring this back to the Mets. So, so the part that I left out there is that, and Jeff kind of alluded to it in that there was a ton of short action happening with GameStop coming into this weeks, months, you know, probably years knowing that where this economy is going in terms of any kind of retail and, and you know, him to, for him to say at the end there that, you know, the, the merchandise, the, the, the retail in terms of Express and JCPenney, I have to imagine all of these co- companies publicly have been attacked by these 
hedge funds by these big wigs that understand the short game. So one of these hedge funds just happens to be Melvin Capital, okay? Big wig hedge fund. And they got themselves in a position with GameStop. Essentially, you know, I, I would imagine they're in the same boat with Blockbuster. I imagine that they're doing this with many of these retail situations. They're just one of those kind of animal companies. And they've been shorting it. The market value of Melvin's GameStop position two months ago was $55 million. They've been shorting GameStop over and over, pulling out options so that they can essentially gamble on it, right? And they're gambling on the fact that that stock's going down. Melvin Capital. And they're doing this with lots of companies, not just GameStop, but they're involved here because of the GameStop situation we're having with Reddit. So obviously the stock has gone up <laughs> and the, the value of GameStop has you know, gone up tenfold, 1,500% is the number I'm reading here. That's probably low at this point. Everything's happening in this fluid right now. So, you know, GameStop was trading at $12.50 back when Melvin Capital was getting in, getting essentially getting in. Uh, that is not the case now. Okay, it's up to $345 now <laughs> per trade. So there's a lot of back and forth here. And this kind of day trading warfare has become big because we've been all sitting home and many of us got stimulus checks. And when somebody like Dave Portnoy and Barstool get on Twitter and say, hey, we should start day trading. We got nothing else to do. We got some free cash here. Let's see if we can turn that 1200 into 12 grand. And he starts throwing stock options out there and, and ideas and, and recommendations. He didn't specifically target this GameStop one. This is kind of a birth of people getting involved in this more and more over the past 18 months. And he's a big reason. He has a gigantic following. Barstool has a gigantic following, especially socially. So you can understand how this snowballed and got to this point. And look, Melvin Capital, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect the dots here, who is a big, big, a big, big investor, friend of the owner, friend of the ownership, Mets new owner, Steve Cohen. So here we go again with Mets ownership and a financial debacle to some degree. Certainly not as bad as Bernie Madoff, where there were, God, hundreds of millions. And specifically with the Mets, you know, 50 to 70 million in fees and losses and paybacks and just the worst, which hamstrung that payroll for years and years and years. Now, I don't think this is going to get to that capacity. Uh, you know, and Cohen has already done some spending here. So thank God we have Lindor, although we haven't paid him yet. <laughs> but uh, just the fact that another Mets owner, you know, after all those years is now tied to this, this new kind of, you know, not, a, not that it's a scam, it's completely legal, but it's, you know, they, the, it's the it's the middle class figuring out how the uh, the upper class kind of makes their daily money, kind of pays their bills. This is how it happens right here. You reverse the obvious. That's what's happened here. You, you, you kind of figure out what's going on. You read the trends, you read the analytics, and you attack them. Play offense instead of defense. And when you're playing offense and when you're throwing money, good money, 
at these kind of situations, there's good money to be made if it works out in your favor. And if enough people do this at the same time, you can move the needle. And that's exactly what's happened here. It's, and it's continuing to move because media companies are reporting on this and explaining it similar to what, what I'm doing right now. So uh, I'm going to get off of this because we got actually have plenty of show to get to. But my thanks to Jeff. Uh, I sure hope Steve Cohen doesn't get hammered by this too much. Hopefully he understands that, you know, this may not be a one and done and whatever investment he has with Melvin capital, you know, whatever part ownership or stock options, however he's connected financially. And it sure seems like it's a, it's a good chunk from what I'm reading here on Sportico. Um, you know, hopefully he's smart enough to realize that if this is happening once, it's going to snowball. I imagine, I imagine Jeff's not wrong. Blockbuster is going to be next. JC Penney's going to be next. American Eagle is going to be next. Whoever's live, whoever's public and floundering, but still has the ability to fluctuate in the market, right? It can't just be all the way down. It's got to be able to come up. You have to be able to impact that stock enough to actually make it more valuable with what, with the boom, with the boost, which is what's happened here. And I think GameStop was a perfect target because of what I said. You know, new PlayStation console, they're huge. That's a huge get for them. It's kind of like, you know, generator companies whenever in hurricane season or (laughs) tornado season, just going to work out. It's going to work out. You're going to have your kind of blips. So perfect target, perfect storm, crowdsourcing at its finest and the middle class kind of getting over on the upper class for once. So of course, it's tied back to the Mets, but uh, hopefully, you know, not a long-term thing. Hopefully, this is just a blip on his $15 billion in wealth. But just my luck that uh, the Mets can finally get a new owner and Steve Cohen is tied to this somehow. All right, let's talk some baseball and some football with Dan, Cousin Dan, and Scott. Today's episode is also brought to you by the Online Betting Guide. Do you consider yourself an NBA expert? Knowledgeable in stats, trends, plays, injuries. Prove your skills against other knowledgeable basketball fans at OLBG.com's NBA Pick'em Contest. Enter for free and share your NBA picks to win cash prizes. Every month, it's 15 cash prizes, totaling $130 in prize money. OLBG.com is a sports betting community where expert handicappers share their predictions to compete for top place in the leaderboard, while at the same time helping others make informed betting decisions. Show them what you got today at OLBG.com. Scott, I want to start with you. I posted a piece this morning, kind of the annual piece, financially breaking down these Super Bowl teams, obviously the Chiefs and the Bucks this year. Pretty prime matchup. Pretty boring financial matchup. I'm not gonna lie to you. I uh I tried like hell to pull some strings out of this one and find, you know, you know, at least something to promote or market in terms of, you know, uh, I guess some kind of anomaly or, you know, the, the Bucks got here despite this or the Chiefs got here. Despite, there's none of that, unfortunately. So I don't know if you've read the piece. I, I guess the one takeaway that kind of threw me off was when I broke down the positional spending, the Bucks are the highest spending tight end team in the NFL, even though Travis Kelsey is easily the best tight end in football. So I, I found that interesting. Uh, I don't know if you've browsed this piece. What, what kind of stands out for you with these two teams, either financially or you know, from a future standpoint or, or a roster building standpoint? What, what, what's your take on this upcoming Super Bowl matchup here? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the, 
the first thing that sticks out is the dead cap in that Tampa Bay is 32nd and Kansas City is in, in 23rd. So they have uh, a not much dead cap at all. So they've maintained that and haven't had to. Yeah, that old adage know, doesn't lie, Scott. Have, <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't uh, you can't be trying to rebuild and then also win the Super Bowl. It almost it just doesn't right. happen. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. So that that sticks out. And then I mean we've talked about it with other sports. You know, usually like if a team is in the in the middle, you know they're they're not too high, not too low. You know, I know we had an anomaly with you know Tampa Bay being low and they were in the in the World Series, but you know Tampa Bay's at 14th in spending. And Kansas City right. is, is up there at fifth, but they're not. They're two teams that haven't gone all out and spent at least in this 2020 year. But you know, we've talked about in the next couple of years, Kansas City may be at the top of that spending aspect, or who knows where Tampa Bay is going to be? Because like we talked last time, there's some extension candidates. What Tom Brady's going to do? Um, so, but I think you know we're seeing between the dead cap and them not having to have released or had bad contracts to get rid of. And they've spent their money wisely for the most part. I mean, we saw Tampa Bay, they brought in Antonio Brown. They brought in Fournette. They brought in, you know, they traded for Gronk. I know he has a high cap hit, but um, you know, in kind some of ancillary pieces now, go, right? I mean, it's almost right. inconsequential pieces to some degree, but you know, just kind of making Tom Brady happy. Right. <laughs> Well, and making smart decisions. I mean, the fact that Fournette gets released and then they sign him, yeah. you know, and for the fact that he was able to step in with Ronald Jones and it was sort of a two-headed, um, you know, dragon there going through and, you know, one was injured, the other was able to step up and vice versa. Uh, so so it worked out in that aspect for them. I, smart spending. I, I think your first point is the point I... I want to make here and maybe something I didn't emphasize enough in this piece. I said it, but I think I should have emphasized it more saying that the chiefs are the fifth highest cap team in the league is one thing, but it is so important to note <laughs> that both Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes contracts have basically not even happened yet. I mean, Mahomes cap situation is so friendly this and next year that it's almost like he's still on his rookie contract. Truly, if we're only talking talking cap, there's just no impact here. So it's not a $45 million quarterback winning the Super Bowl. That's not what this is going to be. This is going to be a eventual $45 million quarterback <laughs> in two years. But now he's not there yet. He's got the contract in his hand. It's signed. It's done. It's guaranteed. But... From a from a cap perspective, the Chiefs are very much operating like he's dirt cheap and Kelsey's average in terms of tight ends. So that has to be said here because it, you know we we sit here kind of every year, Scott, this time and, and and analyze the top paid position players, the top spending teams, and, and just how little they do successfully in the postseason. It's just it's just how it works for whatever reason. You know that's the exact opposite in basketball, right? In basketball, it's a completely different animal because you almost you want to be the highest paid player and you want to be old. <laughs> you, want, you want to have experience. We've said that a million times. Rookies don't win in the NBA. Well, they can here. They can here. You can win despite a quarterback's age 
because he's only got a $5.3 million cap hit. That's exactly what's happening here. And oh, by the way, Tom Brady, I don't even care that he's 43. It doesn't even matter at this point. He's throwing the ball like he's 30. So he's only a $27 million hit. He's not a 40. He's not a 38. You know what I mean? Once again, he hasn't risen to a maximum contract, even though he's in a new franchise here. So to me, that's the takeaway is that we still don't have, even though Mahomes technically is the highest paid quarterback in football, he is not even close to that when we look at it from a cap perspective. And both of these players, from a veteran perspective, their caps are discounted, heavily discounted. And their teams yeah. were able to benefit from it. Kelsey got in. Tyron Matthew got in. Tyreek Hill got in. Chris Jones got in. You know, you know, Mike Evans' contract looks like peanuts now. They're probably going to be able to squeeze Godwin in next year. Gronk got in on a way overpaid cap hit You know, for what they, they needed out of him this year. You know, and Dominican Sue probably shouldn't have been on this roster in terms of most teams. They made that work. And it's because Brady didn't go balls deep. It's just, it's just a fact. And uh, that's the takeaway. And yes, there's a lot of future stuff in this piece. You know, Tampa Bay's got a lot of notable free agents. Take a look at it. I've got market values for pretty much all of them if you click into their pages. And uh, I've laid out some potential extensions there as well, who I think might get maybe extended, almost guaranteed. And you mentioned it's got one of those names is Brady. We talked about it last week. Um, and the more I, I think about it, the more I, I wrote about it here, it's going to happen. Uh, this is not a, a rental anymore. Tom Brady's not a rental for Tampa Bay. It, it should be considered the exact opposite. They should be building their team as if he's a franchise quarterback. And I realize it could be, it's probably only going to be two more years. But how long do these windows last anyway? You know, if Tampa Bay gets a four-year yep. run like this, they're, they're going to be ecstatic. So you don't let Chris Godwin walk. You don't let Levante David walk. You make this stuff work right now because you got this guy. Yeah, completely agree. Because what was it? Tampa Bay hadn't been in the playoffs since 2007 or something like that until Brady shows up and now they're in the Super Bowl. Um, the last thing I'll, I'll say is, you know, that dead cap, I, I referenced it for a reason because it's it, very important for teams and how they're spending. I mean, we're we're talking about the Chiefs, you know, they, they they're spending fifth, but they're twenty third in their dead cap. So the, all the money that they're spending right now, as you alluded to, with Mahomes and Kelsey, and then their extensions haven't even kicked in. They're spending the money wisely right now because they can and they haven't had those dead contracts. If, if For those listening, if you go to uh, the NFL cap table, we've updated the teams that have made the playoffs, have stars next to them, and the right. teams that have dark stars are the teams in the Super Bowl right now. And then we'll have a, the, the trophy for the championship. But if you rank by the dead cap, the teams at the very bottom are all – the teams for the most part that are in the that were in the playoffs outside of <laughs> three teams so it's it, it's no it's no surprise that the teams that spend their money wisely and don't have all this dead cap built up make it to the playoffs and subsequently get into the super bowl here yep it's a it's a pretty simple equation to start with and uh, we talked about how the rams were trying to play with fire this year and, and win despite a gigantic dead cap number they got pretty damn close. They got closer than I thought they would. I mean, they got themselves in. They were competitive. They won a week. It's That went well for them, even with Goff playing subpar 
and that's certainly going to come up on a, on a future podcast here, but, uh, look, that's about it. Honestly. Um, you know, we'll, we'll dissect the chiefs and the bucks a little bit more once, once the, the off season officially gets here, but you know, I've laid out a path for both of these teams that I think makes a lot of sense. I'll be interested to see who Tampa Bay decides they can't bring back. You know, will it be the running right. backs? Will it I be, agree. will it be Chris Godwin? You know, are they going <laughs> to, that, that would scare the hell out of me getting rid of one of Brady's weapons, knowing that was the thorn in his craw for the last decade in new England that, you know, and certainly they're seeing that with Aaron Rodgers as well. Uh, to me, all these decisions have to run through Brady. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but if anybody's going to earn that, it's him right now. <laughs> like, you know, before Jason like does anything in terms of the offseason with Chris Godwin, if Brady says, hey, you should franchise tag him, you franchise tag Chris Godwin. That's what you do. Because if, if Brady decides that that's the wide receiver he wants to work with for the next couple of years, you just get it done. Like I said, you are, you are in, in rare air right here. You are a small market team that doesn't win. They haven't won in a long time. And for whatever reason, you know, because of, because of the, the work you did in the draft, really, there's no other way to look at this. You drafted well for the last five, six years and put yourself in a position where you, you were able to get Tom Brady's rose, right? In his reality show of last offseason, you were, you were the best candidate for him in terms of availability, tax situation and roster. Don't screw this up. Don't make this a one and done. Go all in. If you got to overpay Levante, David, overpay, just Whatever it takes with the guys that Brady identifies and certainly the GM identifies matter the most. And to me, the one Gronk's going to be the most interesting. Gronk wants to come back. He's already said it. So what do you do there? You have, you have OJ Howard and Cameron Braid. They're probably both overpaid for what they're going to be worth. And I don't think Gronk can give you half a season, let alone 16. I, will he come back for the minimum just to kind of be Tom Brady's, you know, Helmet holder? I, I don't know. That to me is the most interesting because it, it's it's not just about the nuts and bolts, the financials. It's in fact it's probably less about that for Brady at this point. It's about the experience. And guys like Gronk are gonna make 2021 better for Tom Brady from a marathon standpoint. You know, if if he's there and Brady wants him to yeah. be there then I guess you got to throw 2 million at him. So those are the little decisions that are going to be hard when you get to this point and a lot of players are expected to come back. The Chiefs just signed everybody. So if you're looking at the Chiefs as the model, <laughs> get ready to start check, you know, writing some checks because that's what they did. They just signed freaking everybody. And I expect more, well, more contracts this offseason. You, you make a great point with uh, Levante David. You know, If you have to pay him, pay him because A, Teams, they're getting smarter and with the way they're structuring the cap. And yeah. if you, you know, you build in those mechanisms or whatever you want to call them <laughs> at this point and or they can shift things down the road. And as you put in contracts, you always put in and out. So if it's a three year or four year, it's usually a two year. Teams are getting smarter with how they want to structure these deals, knowing that, all right, we'll pay you this. But if we have to move on from you in two years, we will do so. Sure. So if they're going to pay them, do it now. And you know that they're going to structure it and mold and shape the cap to fit their needs. Well, and the good thing, Scott, is that they're going to have now a little bit of, of the Patriots medicine to work with, which is they're in the Super Bowl, someplace they haven't been in a very long time. Tom Brady's here, shows no signs of walking away, which means 
they're going to be able to go out to these guys and say, hey, you know, we're cap strapped. The league cap's going down in 21. You know, Brady's coming back. We're, we're, we want to, we want to run this thing back in 21. We want to be where we are now again next year. First year of this contract's got to be dirt cheap. You know, we'll, 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 we'll put everything in, into year two so we can restructure that roster bonus. It's what the Chiefs did. I'm just telling you what the Chiefs did here. So essentially, you know, if Levante David's making set to make 9 million, it's a 5 million cap year one. It's a 14 million cap year two where they can restructure that and turn that into a bonus to, to, to help the 2022 cap. But, you know, everybody's going to have to play ball to stay together right now. The league cap's just not going to be great. If it's 185, that's still 13 million less than what we have right now. So it's, you know, it's going to, everybody's going to have to work together on the teams that want to continue to push. These are certainly two of those teams. So you're going to have to have the Levante Davids, maybe even the Chris Godwins of the world come to terms with, if I'm going multi-year, because Tampa Bay doesn't do signing bonuses, Scott. It's, they don't do it. They don't want the day cap. That's why they're 32nd. They don't do signing bonuses. Yeah. So if they're just doing straight salary and roster bonuses, that's why I'm saying year one may have to be dirt cheap from a cash perspective. Year two, big roster bonus. We'll convert that into a signing bonus then. But um, we'll see. That's what it's going to take. If they, if they love their core as much as I think they should. I mean, this is... This is an overachieve, certainly from a, from a Brady in the Bucks perspective, and the Chiefs. I don't expect much from them this offseason. We've made I've made some notes here, Tyron Matthew, things like that. But um, and the offensive line is a bit of a concern. But I think the same thing applies. We talked about it last week. You just got to get guys to come back mm-hmm. on a, on a cheaper contract. That's all. You just got to get some discounts yep. because you're the Chiefs and you got Patrick Mahomes. So it's that easy. All right, you ready to talk some baseball, cousin Dan? Yeah, let's do let's it. Do it. Okay, welcome back into the show, Cousin Dan. Scott and I have, I don't know, a decent amount of baseball content. It's kind of that time of year, and uh, things have heated up a little bit. We're going to start with the Hall of Fame stuff. Scott, I'm going to let you drive this one, because if you don't, I may go off on tangents and never get back. So uh, (laughs) kind of lay out what happened yesterday in terms of the Hall of Fame. Yeah, so Hall of Fame voters, uh, the results came in, and drumroll, nobody is going into the Hall of Fame. Um, Kurt Schilling ended up being the highest vote-getter, 285 votes uh, at 71.1%, 16 votes shy of becoming a Hall of Famer, so he is not in yet. He has one year left, and then followed up by Barry Bonds at 61.8%. Roger Clemens at 61.6%, and then fourth, Scott Rowland, 52.9%. And uh, like I said, Schilling, Bonds, and Clemens, I believe, all have one year left in voting eligibility. Um, So we shall see if they get over that hump of 75%. But um, there's a a lot of, uh, you know, (laughs) talk today about, about this Hall of Fame voting. Uh, there were 14 ballots that had blanks. Um, Let's start there. About Dan, what do you past. think? What do you think about that, Dan? Um, I mean, I think, I, I mean, I personally don't like that part of it, but I understand people who are doing that. Um, but I, I think it's a clear and obvious sign that something with this process needs to change. Like, I, I mean, it's just not an enjoyable process for, for anybody involved and or the sport itself, you know? I guess what I don't understand is 
Is it just symbolic? Is that what those 14 people are saying? I guess I'm throwing this out to, to each of you. Um, I understand not voting for Schilling, Bonds, and Clemens, you know, and even Viscal to some degree now with his situation. But is is Todd Helton not a Hall of Famer? You wouldn't at least check that box? Like, I, I don't understand going completely blank. It, it's not like every single person on this ballot is a no. So, or has question marks. Am I incorrect in saying that? I mean, there's no Derek Jeters here. So if if you're looking for a Derek Jeter or bust, then I guess you go blank. Is is that is that the interpretation, Dan? I think that's real close. I, I mean, the kind of the, the current thinking is, I mean, there's sort of two ways to think about it. Either the let's put more players in and come on baseball writers, everybody can find one player at least to put on their ballot, right? The other is, if you're not a Hall of Famer, you're not a Hall of Famer, and there's no, you know, there's no question about that. And we, we argue about that, you know, Mike and I, we kind of yeah. go back and forth on, you know, where that line is on a bunch of different players. And I think everybody is, and that's a healthy and fun conversation. But, um, you know, it's gotten to the point now where, it, it, you know, MLB Network was at the Hall of Fame for four hours of live coverage yesterday. <laughs> Brian Kenny standing out in two inches of fresh snow and not a single person got inducted so i i, I yeah to, to directly answer your question I, I think a lot of that is um i i don't i don't like it how, you know I, I think everybody can find one player to include that that's my personal scott do you agree thought. or do you think that upholding the notion that there is a certain level that hall of fame deserves and we're not going to bend for that just for publicity I, i've been back and forth i I, I hate to see that there was a ballot, 14 ballots yeah. with not a single check on it. I, I really hate that. Like Dan said, there's got to be at least one person that you can vote for. But if you look at the list outside of the, you know. Yeah, the big three. Steroids aside, outside of those big three, are there any really, really great players on that list that you that are shooing? Even if it wasn't, you know, I, I kind of hate that. got to wait. 10 years, you know, know. You, 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 why can't it be five? Why can't it be less that well, they have 10 years to, to possibly make it? I mean, one of the things that has been talked about today, blue in the face that I've been listening to is, you know, Roger Clemens and uh, him not wanting to be in it, but should the writers still vote for him to go in? You mean Schilling? Some, or Schilling, sorry. Yeah. Um, and I, the fact that, some of them are basing their vote off of integrity and things off the off the field now that he's saying as opposed to when he was on the field. Yeah. So I feel like the 10 years is too long because it gives too much breathing room and you're you're allowing those writers to not necessarily base character and integrity on the field as they are, um, you know, more basing it off of what is happening recency bias now. Dan, do those big three get in next year? Has this all just been about we're going to make them wait to the very last year, then let them in? I don't know. I, I don't. Well, not that anyone does, but I really don't know. But I, I mean, it's it's this is it. So I, there's like no more, you know, we're going to we're going to make uh, an example out of those guys. So um, 
I mean, the current trajectory, I would say no, but I, I want, I, I do think there is um, a lot of steam in um, like a younger baseball writers association community that, um, you know, is uh, more open-minded to that era of players getting in and, and recognizing that, you know, like, are we going to eliminate an entire decade or more of, of players from, you know, from being eligible for the hall of fame? And is this every year almost going to be, well, you know, maybe we vote in one guy or we're not going to have classes of three or four at this rate anymore. So, yeah. And I guess let's bury the lead with our next topic. Cause you're, you're right. It's not just about, right now it's about now what happens next year as well because you're adding now to the fold a rod and david ortiz next year on year one so they they come in on year one when shilling bonds and clemens come in on year 10. um i I mean i just did a quick dive into a lot of these guys numbers and we're going to talk about scott Rowan in a second because I, i need help but but if we're talking numbers and, and, and all right. So Schilling's issues, politics and, and, and a, a, a loose cannon on social media. Let's put it that way. He said some pretty, pretty terrible things at times. Yeah. Just, just an, just an, just an overall bad image for baseball. I think that Perfect. you can kind of boil it down to, to that. Okay. Conduct yeah. detrimental to the league. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, bonds to some degree, similar, not as direct, but just as big of a pill to a lot of people. And I use that word specifically, obviously, because then there's also steroids tied to him. Clemens, not far off. I mean, you know, I can't get the image of him throwing a bat at Mike Piazza out of my head for the rest of my life. That's just a part of his career. So um, there's good and bads with everybody here. No question. But when you flip the switch to A-Rod, and I kind of want to go there for about for a couple of minutes, if you don't mind. Has anyone repaired their image more in this whole kind of landscape? Uh, I mean, generally these guys don't get to go to the media because nobody wants to fraternize with that with that person because of the elephant in the room. Because who's going to take that guy seriously, knowing he's been a cheater for two and a, you know a decade and a half? We can't put his words out there to the general public. Somehow, A Rod, who has the best numbers of anyone here, I mean, across the board, the numbers are ridiculous. Now has this media career and podcast career and production company and television company and television show. And he's, he's as big as ever and maybe as beloved as ever. How does that factor into this conversation now for the next 10 years? Because he's not getting in next year. But is this guy going to get in because of how he was able to repair his image? So yeah, I would. I I think that is a good way to kind of package this up. The the timeline of it all that maybe this first round of guys are going to miss out because it wasn't enough time for um you know people to mentally transition into being you know into accepting that. But and because um, they didn't play yeah, ball, right, Dan? Right. They they didn't play ball. And by play ball, I don't mean baseball. I mean selling them, selling themselves, repairing the damage saying something that at least alludes to the fact that they screwed up. I, I, I mean, these three guys aren't going out on that limb. A-Rod, A-Rod went on 60 minutes. It was terrible. But now he's not looked back since. So is that going to be what the public needs and then in turn what these voters need? Yeah, I, I think the combination of time plus you know, being a face 
that sort of wearing it the way he has and right. you know kind of rebounding from it from it and and being a good you know good part of the baseball community if you will so yeah yeah i um i could much more likely see a, a guy like a rod getting in than um you know these other guys sneaking in in their final year scott what do you think who uh, of the steroid yeah. era who's going to be the first one to get in and obviously knowing that these three come you know expire next year mm. You know, I could see A Rod getting well, in. I, I like just you have said, to, wouldn't it be incredible if it is A Rod? Because he was the biggest cheater of everybody. I mean, he did everything. He he did whatever it took to get back to back two fifty million dollar contracts. He did it all, and he admitted to it at all. He, he's done. He's done and said more than anybody here. But I, but I think now that we're well, talking this out, I think he's getting in. But I think what helps him, like you like you alluded to, was he came out early enough. It's while he was still in his career and, and fessed up, then still played. And then some, you know, he had enough time to be calculated enough to say, all right, how can I rebuild my image right. as I leave baseball and go into the business world? And now you see him on Shark Tank. He's got podcasts. He's, you know, he's got uh, gym stuff. He, he's all over the place right now and with JLo. So he's in the face with that. So people are, you know, liking his his image more now and the fact that he came out when he did saying it and he still had career left whereas you have a guy like Barry Bonds who still denies <laughs> yeah. and denies and denies and leaves a sour taste I bet you if he would have came out right away and just said I okay here it is he he may have had a chance to be in sooner than waiting until year 10 now is he going to jump 15, 14% to get up there. I don't know. That's a big jump. Barry Bonds? Um, or Yeah, Barry Bonds. Uh, yeah, Scott, I, said. I, I actually think Barry Bonds gets in next year. I do too. I, 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 I think A-Rod gets in. I think Bonds is going to get in with that jump. I, I think those 14 ballots, like you said, it's probably a lot of people holding off to, to make him yeah. sweat and probably Clemens and Schilling just to make them sweat all the way through. And then they get in. Um, but if, if if baseball for some reason none of those guys get in and they go two years in a row with no Hall of Famers, um, th- there may be some riots in in the baseball community because you know. Well, the th- the alternative, no <laughs> the alternative, unfortunately, Scott is, and this very well, this very well might happen. Scott Rowland and Todd Helton, two awesome players. You know, I probably got every one of their baseball cards. I've, I watched a ton of their ball. You know, Scott Rowland's stats are great. He's a war hero. So if you're a big war guy, he's in, you know, he's big in your camp. And, and it's one of the reasons a lot of people are pulling for him, not to mention, you know, sound defense, lots of gold gloves, whatever. There could not be a more boring ceremony than Scott Rowland and Todd Helton. <laughs> like if you're, if you're talking about, you know, rebranding yourself after what just happened this year in terms of the hall of fame. Those aren't the two guys. If you can put Barry Bonds in that class, now you got something that people want to talk about. And Oh, by the way, Barry Bonds likes to talk. So it's not a bad thing. Talk and watch. But you know, as Dan said, MLB network had four hours of conversation and lead up to this and no one got in. They can't have a second year in a row of that because that that's money and production and everything that in a time where everyone is trying to penny pinch, 
you, you can't have that kind of a production and not have someone go into the Hall of Fame. Well, the, the other thing, and Dan and mm-hmm. I talked about a lot, this a lot offline, you know, I, I would have to imagine, and I'm putting words in people's mouths here, but Dan and I kind of sp- said, spoke to this. You just can't have Kurt Schilling in front of a microphone in, in front of 10,000 people on a hill with no strings attached because you don't know what he's going to say. You know, after what we just went through politically with, you know, and, and we kind of all know where he lives. He puts it out there. He, he puts it on his, on his vest for sure. Uh, I just think it's dangerous from MLB's brand to have him out there in the open right now. That's just, that's, you don't want to be associated with that. That's clearly the message that's being sent here. Uh, and again, I'm putting words in people's mouth, but A-Rod wouldn't be like that. Be- the steps that A-Rod has taken... Whether you believe him or not, whether you thought that 60 minutes was rubbish or not, and of course it was, you know, he's proven he can bullshit with the best of them. He's proven that. So you can feel comfortable putting him in front of a microphone in front of 10,000 people live on MLB Network with 100% of your brand at stake and him being sort of the ringleader for this steroids era in terms of the Hall of Fame and taking it to the next step. I trust his words and his bullshit more than I trust anyone else's right now because he's shown it. He's proven it in his second chapter of his life. So I guess that's another reason why I think this is probably the right bridge to gap or, you know, whatever we've had. I, I would imagine we get to that point eventually, but I'm I'm just spitballing here. Dan, any final thoughts before we move on to the next level here? No, no, I totally agree. I think, um, I think bonds next year is, um, it's a huge test in my opinion. I mean, obviously 10 years down the line yeah. is a different story, but um, if, if bond, I mean, bonds is, is not a, a borderline hall of famer in terms of talent. Right. So we no, and it's, I, it's I mean, not BS. All the people that continuously say that he was a hall of famer before he took steroids. That's not BS. That's not hyperbole. He, he was a great, great player that got, he got all time because of steroids. That's all. He was a great player. That That's not BS. Do you agree with that? No, I, to- I totally agree. I mean, we'll never officially know, but I mean, the probability was he was still going to be a gr- an all-time great player. But and, and on that note, though, and to paint a broad stroke over the whole conversation, that that's that entire generation yeah. largely. So are we, you know, are we just going to discount everyone's careers? I, I, I don't know if I, I really don't know what side I'm on. I'm not even talking myself into one side or the other, but I, I do sincerely see an angle on both ends, the baseball purists that want no part of that era being in the hall of fame. And, um, and this next generation that kind of like, you know, it was just part of what they did for 15 or 20 years. So yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I think bonds is going to be an important vote next year, but um, I do agree that a rod will has done enough to distance himself, um, you know, superficially where people don't, don't exactly think of that, you know, at the, at the drop of a hat when they think of a rod now. So, yeah. And I do think it's, do you think, go ahead. I was gonna say, Dan, do you, I'm curious at your thoughts. Do you think the 10 years is, is too long to, especially with like the shilling and the bonds and, you know, uh, uh, all that time to breathe and, and outside time. Do you think 10 years is too long? You think it's right? What, what do you, what do you think? No, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure why they need to put a hard stop on the length as long as you're getting enough votes. Right. So, um, whatever threshold you want to go, obviously you can't have a ballot, you know, a ballot of a hundred guys and 
Um, you know, some guys are getting ones and 2% votes, but, but you know what I mean? If, if yeah. a guy is close enough that people want to keep him on the ballot and he's going to, but I, I guess in the same token that eats up other votes. So right. you might have to expand the, the number of votes allowed on each ballot, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't want to get into the, you know, the, the, the nooks and crannies of what this would the ripple effect this would have. But, but you know what I'm trying to say, make this threshold 20. And um, if a guy can maintain votes for two and a half generations and stay on the ballot for 25 years until people, you know, in hindsight, look at his numbers, uh, maybe that's a bad take, uh, but um, I, I just, I would hate, I, I know there's other avenues to get in um, after that 10 years, but I would really hate to see, um, those guys intentionally get left off because of the 10 year window while other guys like a rod, even though we've said all the positive things he's done um, you know, it's really not going to be fair if half of those guys are able to get in and in the early, earlier nineties guys are not able to get in. So yeah, other than that, I, I mean, I don't know what is the best way one way or another. I just think if somebody can maintain votes, they should hang around. I, I will say this, if we're talking process just a little bit here, I like how hard it is to get into the baseball hall of fame. I'm, I'm actually okay with there being a, a goose egg here. And you know, it's been mm-hmm. seven years since yeah. the last goose egg. It may get a little bit more frequent because of everything we're talking about here. But uh, uh, this to me is better than the alternative. This to me is better than, <laughs> you know, you, you know, Dan Heron getting in the NBA no, where everybody gets in. Yeah. <laughs> or, or just even, you know, Guys who didn't have crazy long careers with crazy high achievements, who were crazy, you know, big winners, you know, there's just those three things should always be the qualification. Always like it's all the other stats and analytics you can look at are fine. But if they don't hit those three check marks, then they're immediately out, in my opinion. And baseball has been good to that. Whereas I think a lot of these other sports, they've they've turned the election process into publicity stunts. And if there's somebody who can be there that can raise the level of ratings, <laughs> they're going to put them there. You know, they're going to put them there regardless of if the numbers truly hold up. So I, I do like how hard it's been to, to get elected in baseball. And I, and I think we're going to get to a point where it may be a bit of a stalemate here, but uh, it's okay to me. Uh, I, I'm, I'd rather have this than the alternative. All right. Speaking of which, let's, let's kind of push forward here. I, I mentioned A-Rod and Ortiz next year, just round the room, off the top of your head. Neither of these guys get in next year, right? No, I don't think so. Who, Bonds and A-Rod? A-Rod and Ortiz. Oh, Ortiz, I'm sorry, I missed that. Um, I say I say no next year as well. It, is, would there be any pressure to put A-Rod in if they're going to put Bonds in? in next year? Time, like on the... Yeah, are you saying next year? Are you saying next year with bonds or at some point? Well, I just wonder if there's a bit of <laughs> there's a bit of collusion between these voters I, that basically say like, let's just rip this bandaid off as quickly as possible and put the two biggest poster boys for this thing out there right now, so that we can address this. You understand what I'm saying? And if they're going to create a wing in the Hall of Fame for it, who better place? You know, what better place to start than bonds? And you're going to have to. You know, you're going to have to add Mark McGuire to this probably at some point, the Veterans Committee. But if you put A-Rod and Bonds out there together and open this new section of the Hall of Fame for it or new, you know, declaration for it, 
I, I guess I could see that happening. It's probably just circumstance at this point. Let's move forward. Active players that are definitely going to get in. Dan, this is your, this is your neck of the woods for sure. Scott and I are looking at the list that I created. You are not looking at this list. I'm going to guess you can get five out of the five out of these eight I have here. Go for it. Active players definitely getting in. Oh, getting in. Um, I'm probably not going to be as good as this as you think. Um, Trout. One. <clears throat> yeah, actually, I'm going to be pretty bad at this. Come on. I'm so into young. I, no, because I really am into my fantasy mode and young, <laughs> young up and coming players. And those guys aren't in the Hall of Fame yet. So, um, I mean, there's probably a, cu- a couple pitchers on there. Yeah. Scherzer. Yep. Um, Verlander. Yep. Keep going. There's one more um, big one. Out West. Nah. Matt Stafford's roommate. Oh, Kershaw. Yep. Kershaw. All right. Yeah. Stay out. And stay then, out uh, West. I mean, yeah, take me. Stay with Trout. Uh, uh, pool holes. Yep. <laughs> um, I don't know. Give me, give me, give me something else. Uh, these are all position guys now. Two, two position guys. One of them is not signed right now. So I guess it's not fair to call him active. But we we are we are pretty, we're pretty sure it's, he's going to return to the te- the only team he's been on. Former Pujols teammate Yachty, Yachty's in. Oh, right. And, and this last guy, <laughs> this last guy, has three years and ninety four million dollars left on his contract in Detroit. Miguel Cabrera. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, a $94 million. Oh my God. Baseball sucked so bad. And they're, they're they're praying he's a 240 hitter this year. How incredible is that? He's in though. He's definitely in, right? I mean, wait, does he have, without a doubt, he's had, he's had one of the best careers all time. He's just been one of the most prolific hitters of all time. Has he been, wait, has he been tied to steroids though? Has he been tied? I don't think officially okay. or like real rumors, but um, I mean, yeah, he's always been kind of a bigger, chubbier dude. He, it's not like right. you know, he blew up by any means. Yeah, no, so, yeah, I, I don't know if there is. I could be, I could be a hundred percent wrong on that, but I don't, I don't recall anything. Okay, we're gonna play a little trivia with Dan here, Scott. What do you think? I've got three other yeah. players who I think are debatable to already be Hall of Fame ready. I'm going to give you some, I'm going to, I'm going to give you some resumes. I know this is ridiculously impossible. Um, I'm going to start with a pitcher. He's got a 337 career ERA, 208 wins. He had two ridiculously dominant years, 2009, 2015. He's a Cy Young winner one time, six gold gloves, two time ERA champion. And this might be the, uh, the kicker for you. He won a silver slugger twice. Ooh. I I was originally going to say Cole Hamels, but good guess. I, I don't think he's there yet, though. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer either. That was yeah. just my initial guess on the player. Um, I don't know, man. The dominant years, t- two thousand nine, two thousand fifteen. He's in the final year of his contract out. with 
Houston. Oh, Zach Greinke? I think Zach Greinke's in, man. Yeah, I think the, the numbers are there, but Mike also, the, I guess this is a good this is a good transition. He is another guy who has not particularly gotten along with media type figures. Oh, so interesting. If, if, it, if, he's, if he's a close player, you know, and, and we, you and I talked about this offline that they're, you know, like that what just because a guy has, has the numbers, if there's a perception and these people sure. are the ones responsible for voting for them, then then who knows where that goes. But I, I do agree. I, I, he is a borderline guy. And I only I only say that because of our uh, our conversation not long ago uh, where we touched on that. So but yeah, no, I like I like that name. Yep. Hmm. OK, Scott, go ahead. Pick one of the other two I have there. <laughs> All right. This one is a two-time World Series champion. He's an MVP. He's won a batting title, all-star four times, golden glove five times, and a silver slugger four times. Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts. Yep. Scott, Mookie's in. He's in. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yes. He didn't even start that extension yet, and he's already in the freaking Hall of Fame. Yeah, he's he's in the same territory as Trout. I mean, not quite as elite of an, an, an elite of a career, but um, yeah, I but mean, you trade the MVPs he, he doesn't have for the World Series he has. That's what Trout doesn't have. So tr- sure. Trout's got three MVPs, I think, maybe even four. Uh, you know, winning trumps all that. Uh, Mookie's in. Here, here's the kicker. If you get this one, I'll be pretty impressed, man. One-time MVP, National League. I'll give you that much. One-time Gold Glover, six-time All-Star. Here's his splits, ready? He's got 295 home runs career. Here's his splits. 304, 419, 517, 937 in terms of the OPS. He has four years left at $95 million. Four years left. Uh, I'll add this to... No, no. He's he's got a 62.1 war, which is fifth for all active right now. He's very Scott Rowland-y. Very Scott Rowland-y. Um, man, I don't know. I, I really thought it was Freeman as you laid that out. Well, and I know you positionally uh, you speaking, Dan, you, you know, you've got the position, man. And, uh, Oh, uh, Paul Goldschmidt. No, no, he's not there yet. He, he's close. He's Andy, next tier. And he played on the team, team so I don't at one point. <laughs> he's 37 years old. He's been with this team exclusively since 2002. It's okay. Most people forget about him. <laughs> Even in fantasy, most people forget about him. Joey Votto. Whew, that is going to be a tough sell, but <laughs> I don't blame you for including him on there. Um, Here's what I'm thinking. Because to me, the thing that stands out the most with him, Dan, is the four years left. Four. He's going to be 42 years old when this thing is done. I he can only ruin this resume. I think one of the things he has going for him is that he's batted over 300 for a career that is on bases over 400 for a career. That, that stuff's going to drop off in, in the next four years. If he's playing kind of regularly still on that Cincinnati team, that's, this is one of those guys where I think I just get the hell out and let let the resume. I mean, you get the 300 home runs. He's five away from 300 home runs, but I, 
I don't know. I, I think he can only do damage on that resume at this point. I, he's fringe still for you, huh, Dan? Oh, yeah, fringe to me. I mean, maybe I'm way underselling it, and I think he's had a nice career, um, particularly that, what, three, four, five-year window where he was just, you know, maybe one of the best yeah. first well, in, the last, in uh, the entire league. Yeah, the last few years, he's tapered off quite a bit, too. Well, he's 38. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, can, like, you can get it's it. It's like a highlight. And it's like a highlight reel of embarrassing swings too. If you uh, right. pay attention to that stuff, like they're, they're just uh, brutal, I guess it, man. But that's what but I'm I mean, saying, Dan, that, like just it. get away. Right. <laughs> well, I, in real, honestly though, I think, I think I, I'm overselling that stuff. He, it's not like he can't, he, he's still a phenomenal hitter. He's just reworked his swing. He's not a power guy anymore. He chokes sure. way up on the bat. He's got a real short, quick swing. So I, I'm, I'm just kind of dogging him for that because it's, you know, something easy to laugh at but um he's still a phenomenal player i don't i don't think he he, he needs to get out per se but I, I don't blame you for what you know what you're saying i think the longer he sticks around at mediocrity and we kind of marinate right. in our brains I, I i do agree with you that that might that might fall off the, so but yeah the on-base percentage insane insane numbers there so if uh yeah, like maybe the more analytically minded baseball writers kind of come into focus here. Maybe they'll 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 appreciate more of that stuff. Yeah, the longevity on one team's going to matter because that's going to be a dying art. That's going to be a dinosaur. You know, it matter for Chipper. It's going to matter for Votto as well. You know, not a lot of winning, obviously, in Cincinnati, but he stuck around. Yeah, and it, it, especially no play. Like, what did they make the playoffs once and got yeah. swept immediately or something? So there's like not a lot of that stuff too. To, to your point earlier, so yeah, not 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 sold on Joey Votto, but I give you credit for floating it out there. All right, Scott added too quickly. You want you, you want to run through these names quick? Buster Posey. Yeah, I, I threw him on there because, you know, you know well, winning. being a catcher and winning, he, he's, he's winning. Yeah, yeah. He, those championships. Um, I, I think I think he's got a pretty good shot. I, I've got to double check on some of his numbers and resume. But I mean, off the top of my head, if it's a catcher going in, he's he's got to be at the top of the list of active players right now. I think outside of Yachty that you yeah. added there, I think Buster would be right there, too. Dan, is he in? Oh man, I don't know. I don't. I don't know which Buster Posey. That was immediately my my take too. And Scott, while I want to side with you on this, he hasn't been a catcher in so long. You know, I, I that's mean, a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Whereas, God, I, I can't even imagine Yadier Molina's knees. I can't even freaking imagine what he what he has gone through. Um, what- like on that note, though, is is Molina the last catch, the last true catcher? Well, Mauer's getting for, in for how long? No, nah, Mauer's getting. I in. mean, yeah, but the, but but to that testament too, uh, he first was base. not. I mean, he's known as a catcher, but he peeled off and played first base for the majority of the second half of his career. God, so, is he the last long, true catcher? I mean, That's a great point, Dan. That's a great point. Uh, yes, right. who else is not going to convert? Yeah, I pulled, right. I, I pulled up their stats, so I got Posey and Yachty's. Let me give you their splits, and you you can decide. So player A, I won't say who. So player A has a split of 300, 370 on base, 456 slugging, and then OPS 826. So that's player A. Player B, 
281 batting average, on-base percentage 333, slugging 404, OPS 737. Is the last one Yachty? The last one is Yachty. See, then Posey's got a chance because yes, I understand Yachty's numbers dipping at the plate because of the fact that he's still freaking crouching down behind it every day. Um, Dan, that is such a solid point uh, that he might be the last and, actual catcher. And with, and just to, just to contextualize the numbers a little bit. I mean, Molina, nobody has sold it. You know, nobody advertises him as an offensive stalwart by any means. So, um, right. So two eighty is pretty good. Offensive number. What's that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I guess I'm just saying numbers wise offensively. I, I think, it's not an apples to apples comparison, but um, yeah, I mean, you reading those numbers no. off, Scott. It's... And Yachty has 17 years where Buster's at 11. Um, so right, I was. I, that's what I was going to say. He's a he's a stat accumulator, as they would like to call it. So, I, and that's um, you know, and that's another thing. These guys that play 25 years, do they deserve to be in the same range as these yeah. guys who had seven year careers that were, you know, the best seven year run in the, in the in league history in some cases. So yeah, no, it's a good point, Scott. He might get in alone on reputation and world series wins. So, well, I, I mean, not to mention the coupled with the numbers. Yes. And by the way, I'm reading right now, Posey's going to go back and catch. He's going to be the primary catcher for the giants this year. They're going to probably keep Joey Bart in the minors and uh, Posey's going to go back and be the guy. So maybe he's got a chance to kind of finish off this conversation for us. If he can get back to some hitting ways and, and certainly supplant himself in that role. All right. I want to move. Actually, this is actually a smooth transition. Um, there's a couple of free agents still out there. It's gotten better, obviously, now that we're eyeing up February. This is, unfortunately, the time of year when free agency actually starts for Major League Baseball, even though it's honestly started two and a half months ago. Um, I just want to run down this list. And I think m- most of us here have been kind of following this in terms of the hot stove and the rumors and team needs and who needs what. And, you know, the Blue Jays have done their damage. The Mets have done their damage. Uh, you know, how do these last couple of players fill in across the league, knowing what we know now this late in the game? Let's start with Trevor Bauer. Dan, I know you've got a hell of a lot to say on Trevor Bauer. Look, I'll put it out there that the Mets have been closely tied as the favorite. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not buying it. <laughs> uh, I don't think the Mets are actually offering whatever Bauer is seriously asking for. I think, I think they're offering a nice contract, but you know, Trevor Bauer is not going to be the number one pitcher in on the New York Mets. That's never going to be the case. So I don't know why the Mets would, would offer him $40 million a year. So if it's not the Mets, Dan, which team or teams are the actual favorites for Trevor Bauer? I am I'm sort of running out of options, quite honestly, because I think there are a limited number of options. And I, I my favorite originally was the Blue Jays, and that kind of got checked off here um, with some recent signings. And then um, I don't disagree with you that the Mets might be. I know they. I know there is you know rumored to be a formal offer. Um, I also don't think it's a zero percent chance that they're just in there. Bowers camp is keeping them involved as a negotiation standpoint. Um, sure. Leverage. Yeah. 
to, yeah, exactly. So I, 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 of course, know nothing about it. I'm just saying, though, I think as legitimate options, listen, everyone needs pitching, but obviously Trevor Bauer is a unique player and it's going to be a unique fit that has to work for the team and him and financially, et cetera, et cetera. And he's obviously going to get paid. So as we go and teams start to make their moves and get up against the luxury tax, and that's like pretty important now. So I think he's kind of running out of options to answer your point. I, I think the Dodgers, I know you like the Dodgers for this too. I think the Dodgers have to be the favorite at this point. Um, Unless it's the Mets, I, I guess I would say the Mets Dodgers. And then if you want outside teams that I think are interesting fits, I would say the Giants yes. and the Mariners. Yes, but, sir. But Dan, you, beyond you, that, you buried my lead, man. The Giants, any... the Giants are in. The Giants are in. They, they do this every five years. They come in swinging with some kind of big signing that makes no sense to anybody. And then it sort of works. They've been so dormant with. Their, their free agent periods because of bad contracts that they've had. This is the time for them to strike. I think that's exactly right. I, I put them as a serious sleeper. You didn't even mention the Angels. Are you just out on the Angels at this point? I've, I, the only reason I'm in, quite honestly, is because a number of smart people that right. I trust and follow uh, think that that is still an option. But um, I, one of the Indians guys I listen to, Jeff Ellis, has a podcast. He He's specifically mentioned, um, you know, Mickey Calway's out in Los Angeles. I didn't realize it, but they didn't have the best. Um, they didn't have the best relationship, I guess, why that Bauer and him were in Cleveland together. So I think they're in Bauer specifically mentioned, you know, the, the relationship fit is pretty important to him. So I, I don't, I, I don't want to read too much into that narrative type stuff, but I, I, unless they blow him away and he feels comfortable you know, making that leap, but I don't know. I, I'm only sticking to the angels point because people I trust think it's still an option, but uh, be, I, I don't personally see it as, as the spot, but um, I, I do think they're going to add a pitcher. I just don't know if it's power. Yeah. I'd put, I'd put the three West coast teams. I know you mentioned Seattle. I've got another, another player on Seattle's radar. I believe um, I'd put Anaheim or Los Angeles the Dodgers and the Giants as the three legit favorites with the Mets obviously involved. But I, here's what I think is going to happen because I, like I said, I don't think the Mets are going big. I think they're probably going four for 125, something around there. I, I think this thing is going to be like seven for 250. Even though I know Bauer came out and said he wants a one-year deal. Those days are, are gone. All right. Too many teams have made legitimate offers you know, life-changing offers so, to this guy. And, and, Those days are gone. And the one, the one-year mentality is sort of just shifted into a short-term contract. Sure. though. like I, I don't. W- would he accept an eight-year deal? Maybe, but I, I don't. It, I, I don't have any doubt that he is focused on more of a two or three-year t- deal, in my opinion. But but go ahead. Yeah, I, I think it's seven for two fifty with like three opt-outs. Which kind of hits all the oh, check well marks. Then, hits all the check marks, right? Never mind. <laughs> yep, because that's the modern contract now. That's what these guys are all kind of going for, and he he clearly wants the power and the control. But you can't be dumb enough to turn down two fifty if some if somebody's throwing two fifty at you. And I think if we're talking about those three teams out there, that's the kind of number we're going to see. So seven for two fifty, I'd, I'd rank it: Giants, Dodgers, Angels in that order, and the Mets maybe are just in there somewhere but at a way less cost. So 
I mean, that's your big cat that's got to drop here. That's the big fish that's got to get caught. Uh, I just think he's long for the West Coast. I think the Mets are not actually serious contenders. Here's my guy for the Mariners, Dan. I want your thoughts on this. Marcelo Zuna. Go for it. I like it. I haven't really heard it floated out there, but I... um... I don't hate it. I, I, I only say, I only mentioned Bauer. I've literally heard that nowhere and seen nobody think it's a fit, but I think that the team's kind of ready to make an, a jump. Yeah. You know, he's so attached to driveline, driveline space in Seattle, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I thought there were some natural fits there um, and they really need an ace that he might go there. Now, Mar- Marcelo Zuna, it's kind of this, the same concept dropping a, you know, a, pretty proven veteran in the middle of that lineup. So yeah, I like it. I haven't seen it and hadn't considered it before you just mentioned it right there, but <laughs> All right. I like it. There's a couple more pitchers on here and Scott, you can, you can jump in here as you need. Look, Tanaka, I, I guess I have to ask this question first. Can Tanaka still be a, a top three pitcher in a rotation? I would put him right there. I mean, if you're, if you're expecting more than a two, three type guy, but I, I mean, if he's your third pitcher, you're doing well. If he's, if you're relying on him for more than that, okay. eh, I, don't, I don't know. I wouldn't be real comfortable. So then he's long for the blue Jays, right? How, how can it not be that? <laughs> it, that, that? That's a nice landing spot. Yeah. Isn't I mean, that exactly they what they and he more. needs? I mean, it's just seems uh, we, we know how the international scene is up there. Obviously, you, you know, those kind of signings generally work out for both sides. Uh, basketball too, Scott, you've seen that it happen it happens yep. a lot. Um, and if he's in that kind of mode in his career, all I keep reading about is that he wants to go back to Japan. Well, you know, I, to me, all I, all I read in that is he's not going back to the Yankees. For some reason, he just doesn't like this Yankees team right now. Or they're offering half of what he thinks he's worth. One of the two. I, to me, that's a no-brainer. Tanaka ends up being the number two pitcher for the Blue Jays this year. And sort of some relief for Robbie Ray, who could be a disaster. Uh, that, that's just going to happen, in my opinion. Um, Scott, Justin Turner had some fireworks to finish the 2020 season. But the Dodgers haven't replaced him. They've got a guy internally who may be ready and they, they would be probably okay with going with him and they can move some pieces around if they need to. They've got a ton of prospects to work with, but I don't think anybody is as established certainly uh, and, and more and as consistent as Justin Turner has been for them over the past four or five seasons. Is that marriage going to continue or does Turner kind of float off into space here? I'm going to say he's going to, float off into space and go somewhere else okay. uh, for the fact that they're going to have some other fish to fry as far as dollars uh, in cents with some of these other younger guys. He's 36. You know, I, I think he could probably go somewhere else and, and fit in and, and still be on a contender. But um, I, I think he will not be with the Dodgers next year. Yeah. The, the interesting thing to note about the Dodgers, even though we talk about Bauer and Turner here, you know, they've got a couple of arbitration filings to take care of in Walker Bleer and Austin Barnes, two, two players that will be back on this roster. And based on the projections that I've got, I've only got them with like 4.2 million of, of tax space to work with. So either there's trades to come and certainly there are players who could move off this roster. But generally speaking, if they're going to add any other piece, 
they're going to be taxpayers. Now, I think that's probably okay. <laughs> you know, they're they're in that mode. This is sort of year one of what could be a three, four year run based on what they've done with Mookie and, and that pitching staff. But Dan, are, do you think the Dodgers are are actively trying to add a piece here or does it have to be the absolute perfect piece? And Turner included. Well, first of all, I think Turner is gone personally. Okay. I, um, I, I don't really even know that they would need to do it unless they were just like trying to keep a veteran presence locker room kind of guy around. But I mean, that doesn't seem like the organization or situation to try and to, to force that with right now. So, yeah. um, yeah, on that note, so I think he's gone. I think the Dodgers are always um, making calls and trying to get better. So yeah, definitely they're listening to people uh, on people. And um, I think if something falls their way, they would absolutely add to the team. Um, but I don't know if they specifically need. To, do you know what I mean? I, if they went into next year as is, I, I don't. I don't think anyone would have problem with picking them as a contender, you know, as the contender. So. All right, let's transition real quick here. Last segment. Um, so I, I, it works out that you're on when we're talking baseball with Dan here. Um, so I was listening to one of my podcasts and, and something struck, struck me. Uh, they were talking about the NL West and how bad they're projected to be. And then they posed this question of if the, and they threw out the nationals name, how much would the nationals have to pay to switch with the pirates to go to the national league West to, to win, to realign, (laughs) to, to realign, to go there for one year. They're like, how much money would the nationals need to pay to go for one year just to go in there? Because that, that division is horrible. And you know, the NL East has all these teams that are going to be vying for the postseason huh. and whatnot. I, I don't necessarily want to go that route. I, what made me more think of was should, and maybe not just baseball, but other leagues with how systematic travel is, should leagues look at randomizing divisions so that, um, sort of like how World Cup, they do the random, you're in this pool, this pool, this pool, so that teams are maybe more spread out in divisions. And, and maybe it's every five years, so you still have a rivalry or every 10 years, instead of it necessarily being regional. So you could throw them in, do a randomizer based on whatever, and you would have potentially the Dodgers and, say, the Yankees and then um, whoever else in the same division vying for postseason, and it would throw in a, a, a different caveat. I I understand the reason for the regionalized uh, teams, especially in the situation that we're in with the pandemic. But it just made me think of a different scenario. We've talked about how we, you know, different ways of changing baseball or other sports and making it a little bit more competitive. This, this idea of them saying, Oh, how much would it be to just go to a different division made me think of what if we just randomized them every couple years or every five years, you still have your rivalry. I was just curious because you guys are super diehard more so baseball than me. What would you even think of an idea of like that? I've, I've got a couple of quick thoughts and then I'll let Dan jump in here. Um, 
I've thought about this a little bit myself. Uh, I've been living under the NFL hat now for a couple of months because a lot of teams have gone into offseason mode. And in thinking that way, you know, for instance, the Buffalo Bills, the second that they lost, I, I turned the switch on to how can they now become good enough to beat the Chiefs? And what I thought to myself was, I wonder if that's how they think. I wonder if they're, when they go into the offseason and they look at this game specifically and they say, okay, we didn't have a way to guard Travis Kelsey. We didn't have a, we didn't have a second wide receiver to get open when they were able to focus on stuff on digs too much. Are they going to address their off season specifically knowing that they, that they, they can probably easily get themselves 75% of the way there, but they have to have these pieces in place to get this far in the postseason. And when you're shaping your team building so specifically towards another team, it can be one of two things. Successful if you get to that point, right? If the Bills actually get to the back to the AFC Championship game against the Chiefs, then maybe they have a chance for that to actually bear out. But it can also be very damaging. And I'll stick with the Bills. For 20 years, the Bills tried to create a roster that could stop Tom Brady. Well, guess what they could never do? <laughs> okay. It just wasn't no team in that in, in that division in 20 years could build a roster to stop Tom Brady. And, and I thought to myself, maybe they're, maybe everybody's thinking about this the wrong way. So when you bring this idea to the table of randomizing not only the scheduling, but the ability to get to the postseason, that now takes that idea completely out of it. You no longer can build for four years of stopping Mookie Betts or four years of having to face Max Scherzer. Now you have no idea who you're going to be facing in two or three years. However, you know frequently they would randomize it. So from that level, I think it's fascinating as hell. It's probably way too complicated for these front offices, <laughs> but but right. that element exists. But then the second thing, and you mentioned it a little bit, and I, Dan, maybe you can take it from here. I, I personally think rivalries are completely dead to the point of where new ones are created every season based on yep. a, 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 a hit by pitch or a, a walk off home, just random stuff that happens. But even Yankees, Red Sox, like the, none of it really holds any cachet anymore, in my opinion, because the TV markets have all kind of changed. So I, that's not a problem for me at all. You know, splitting the Dodgers yeah. and the Giants up, the Yankees and the Red Sox, that's not a problem for me at all. In fact, how good would it be for the Mike Trout situation to be able to randomize his appearances on a more national level? <laughs> you know, if baseball needs to shake up something like that, I'm all for it. But to me, this is a little bit too complicated. Dan, go for it. I, I like the idea. I agree with Mike. I think there's a ton of crazy variables involved in this. Um, the, the first thought that came to my mind with this is like a, a relegation type of type of league. Nice. I mean, it would never happen in, in the U S pro sports, but in my opinion, it won't happen. But, um, if teams were relegated down or you had some sort of tiered, um, where all the large market teams or like the favorite teams, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is if you pulled all the quote unquote rebuilding teams into one division, then all of those teams hmm. would have, you know, in theory, a shot at, progressing to the next division up or, or however it would be. I guess I haven't really thought it out because this is on the fly, but um, yeah, Mike, I totally agree. Rivalries are dead. If anything, it's now city to city rivalries. I just hate Boston and I hate all teams associated with Boston, <laughs> that kind of thing. 
you know what I mean? It's not going to, it's not, I hate the New York Rangers because, you know, they beat us in the Stanley cup in 19, whatever, you know, so that, that's not, that's not a thing really anymore. And of the next generation, that tradition is just not, it's not a thing like it used to be. So I, I totally agree. If you wanted to change the division, I would really have no problem with it. I think baseball would be well, the most like nostalgic one just because of how, you know, yeah. how long the league goes back and, and how, yeah, exactly. you know, set in stone a lot of those divisions and stuff have been. But other than that, yeah, I, I, I would totally welcome some sort of, um, you know, concept like that. Well, and I misspoke. I meant to say the NL central, I think I said the NL West. So that may have thrown you off, but um, I think it's an interesting conversation to say because you know we, we've talked about in the past with the NBA and possible uh, for playoffs just being top 16 no matter what where conference doesn't even matter divisions don't even matter even in you know in basketball as it is if in in football we saw the, the Washington football team make it to the playoffs they yeah. were what seven and nine and you know that that division was atrocious um but with this NL Central, I mean, there may be not a team that makes 500 based on, you know, where they're projected and all the teams in that division are, are tanking as it is. So and then you have the West itself where the Padres are trying to go up against the Dodgers. And Mike alluded to the Giants. If they try to go for Bauer, then they're all in. Then you have three teams really slugging it out for in that division. I just think it's a, it would be an interesting if it did happen, it would be really interesting to see the dynamic of it. If you shuffled it every five years and you ended up having, you know, the Mets with the Astros, with the Tigers, with the Red Sox sure. and whoever else. I, I think it's more it, likely, it, Scott, that divisions just go away like you're like you're alluding to. Uh, you and I have had this conversation. I think baseball is going to have to start aligning itself more with hockey than anything. And just simplify it, yeah, and 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 really try to push for, you know, as much well, and to, as much day to day eyeballs as they can get, which is what hockey's, you know, hockey's trying to get back to ESPN. I mean, that's just a that's just a fact. That's where they're trying to go because they know they ha they need help in that regard. Baseball is about to get to that point. It's probably going to be the huge, a major topic well, of discussion and, with this and, next CBA. And if you did a, a randomized division or if you just got rid of divisions as it is, I mean, it, it sounds like in the next CBA, they're eventually going to go to that universal DH. So that would make things a little more easier to do so because you wouldn't have to do with no DH or DH with randomizing those teams or not. So, um, I mean, the conversation that those guys had were really interesting. They, they threw out you know, $50 million or $20 million that the nationals would pay the, the pirates to switch divisions. And I was like, Oh, that, that's interesting. That's less than I would have thought. And then they got into the conversation of, well, where would, where would that money go? Would it go to charity or would it get distributed through, <laughs> you know, all the teams or where would it go? But it, it sparked my, my thoughts of, you know, what can we do to spice up major league baseball? Because that's what we, we do because, you know, I'll they, give you a real easy one. Help. And I don't, I don't think anybody here is going to disagree with it. Baseball needs a spending floor. End of question. <laughs> That's it. They need to absolutely yeah. demand yeah, absolutely. that every team spends at least what? 40% of the ta tax threshold every single year or every three years, whatever it's going to be. Because right now the Cleveland Indians have a $28.5 million, million payroll. 
And that's just a but fact. They and that, they're not looking to add. <laughs> if, if they do that, it, there has to be some serious consequences for not because the NBA has that. And all that happens is the amount that they're below their floor, they divide it up by 15 and they hand it out to each of the players to give the difference of the money. Get out of here. And I thought you, I thought you were going to say they were going to disperse that in terms of cap space no. for the rest of the league, which is what they actually should do. No. no. So if they're a million dollars below, they'll divide it by 15 and give it to the players that are on the team to make up the difference that uh, they're due. No, so that is not if, what I'm saying. If baseball, <laughs> if baseball goes, if baseball goes that route with the floor, they absolutely need to make it a serious consequence that you didn't make this floor. You need to uh, lose whatever, yeah. you know. So, yeah. And in my and in my opinion, the floor needs to be combined with some sort of resolution for the middle and lower class of baseball. Or you're just going to create the same bubble situation you have now, right? Where it's so top heavy with mammoth stars sure. who are on these giant deals, and then the, the what is it? Ninety percent of the league makes you know. 10% of the money or whatever it is. Sure. Yeah. You, you could do, do a reverse luxury tax where uh, you're tiered below, however far below that threshold is, you're getting taxed the reverse of what you would be if you were over the luxury sure. tax itself. So, you know, tw- 20%, 30%, 40%. And if you're below, you get the repeater and it gets worse every time you're below. So that would force the teams that actually have to pay and use their money wisely. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to it. I mean, we're, we're having a five minute conversation yeah. here, but what you don't want is you, do, <laughs> of course. You, you don't want the Orioles to have to spend money and in turn offer Trevor Bauer five years and $500 million. You know what I'm saying? In order to get above their floor because the rest of their roster is $500,000 contracts. Well, that, you don't that, want, that was my point. Yeah. My point was, my point was the Indians slashing every reasonable player off their team and then giving that money to Shane, Shane Bieber, Bieber or something sure. who then gets them over the threshold while the rest of the roster is still making peanuts. That's my, that was my only point with it is that if, if the entire league made X percent more, yeah. the floor would naturally be there almost. But in, instead it's so top heavy right now that I'm not really sure the best way to, to transition. Every rule has a loophole. That's the moral of this story. <laughs> All right, guys. Good stuff. Thanks again. All right. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash SpotTrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off your first year subscription. Check out OLBG.com, the online betting guide. Free contests, NBA Pick'em contest, cash prizes, and also become a better gambler at the same time. For Jeff Huber, Cousin Dan, Scott Allen. My name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast.